Culture has the power to delight, excite, and absorb us. It's a fundamentally human thing. From entertainment and music, to literature and art, culture gives us a sense of belonging and plays a vital role in enriching our lives. I'm Nati Katambala, and this is Superculture, a Selfridges podcast series celebrating the importance of culture to each and every one of us. After a hugely challenging year for the creative industries, we're toasting to new beginnings by meeting remarkable people from a range of disciplines who are inspiring change, joy, and positivity in their artistic fields. We'll hear from them about their early influences and impactful moments that have gone on to shape them and their careers. In this episode, I'm speaking to visual artist Laquena McIver. My work tends to be colourful. It's very much where I've come from and how it's developed. It's come out of the trials and struggles of life, and it's a response to that. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I guess just to start right off, I'd love to dive in with a big question. What does the word culture mean to you? Culture is... It's something shared, isn't it? Mm. Um, it's not individual. The hope is that it's shared. In a way, it's very much linked to what we believe, what we value, what we celebrate, and that connects us. Mm. I think the idea that it's always between more than one person is a common theme yeah. that we keep coming up with. Like, it's not the individual, it's no. the community. And obviously we are here on a podcast and you are a visual artist. Yes. How would you describe it if you had to? My work is it's based around painting mainly, but I do so many different things. What I'm probably best known for is painting murals in public spaces on a very large scale. But I, I've made installations. I've worked with textiles. I, I also um, collaborate with brands, which is quite nice because it means that my work gets into people's... I don't know, everyday lives in a way that sometimes just like fine, just, you know, paintings in galleries might not. My work tends to be very colourful, very joyful, is very much about bringing hope and life into spaces. Yeah, I think that's a perfect description. And you were born in London, am I correct? But you also spent years in Ethiopia. Yeah. And so I wanted to know what some of your earliest artistic or cultural memories were and how those places might have influenced you in kind of how you experience art and culture. On like a basic level, like textiles, um, fabrics that were around the house or around my family, we always had kangas, which is like an East African word for just kind of like cloth. Mm. But it tends to have these proverbs written on it, often in Swahili. That kind of mixture, I guess, of text and image and pattern, Mm. this was quite influential. And then just the experience of travelling from one place to another and feeling displaced and kind of seeing two very different environments Mm. definitely sparked. I think in a way it kind of provoked me to make work, to actually begin, and just drawing, literally like at the age of eight, just drawing. I used to draw a lot of pictures of planes. I only realised recently, I forgot, I used to draw planes again and again and again and um, houses. Mm. And I guess probably a lot of kids draw houses, but I think it was a way of me processing traveling and you know wanting to somehow connect with where I had come from and all of that 
I wanted to ask how your family have helped to, I guess, shape how you see the world. I think that as you get older, you start to realise what your family is like that makes it different from other people's families. And I think my mum and my dad were both quite political. My mum used to lead, like, protest marches. Not very big ones, but, you know, it was really... It definitely had an impact on me. I used to go along. And I think they were both very kind of conscious and very aware of that, that idea, I guess, of belief and what you believe. Tell me a little bit more about your mum and these protests that you talked about and how, how you feel like that might have impacted your work. She had this group called Safer Media. It was a charity. And it was not cool. You know, nowadays it's like everyone's an activist, right? She was an activist before it was cool to be an activist. So we used to go on these protests that were a little bit embarrassing, but we would do them and it felt really powerful. And I actually used to make help her make the banners in really, like, bad typography that um, it, it had a really big influence and impact on me. And it kind of, it kind of ties in with this um, story about the sun and the wind. There's a man walking along the street in a jacket. The sun and the wind are talking and they're like, I bet I can get his jacket off quicker than you can. And the wind is like, no, 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 I think I can. So the wind blows as hard as he can to get the jacket off the man. And the man just grips his jacket even tighter. Then the sun has a turn and the sun shines as bright as it can. And the man takes off his jacket. And it's a really interesting analogy or metaphor for how the power of different ways that you can speak to people, basically. In a way, I guess my mum was maybe blowing with the wind, and that's there's a place for that. But I think probably my work tends to be shining that sun as bright as possible so that people willingly take off their jackets. And you talked about drawing when you were younger and kind of using that as a means to process your emotions. But did you always know that you wanted to become an artist? Like, was there ever a time when you had like a moment that felt like a realisation that that was your path? I always knew that I could draw well. Mm. Obviously, there's so much more to it than that. Uh, When I was younger, I was aware that you didn't earn much money as an artist. I don't know who told me this. (laughs) Probably my dad. Just the modern myth, isn't it? (laughs) I knew, and it's pretty much true that that um, in general, you, you you really couldn't make much of a living as an artist. So, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I think my thing was to be an accountant. I was good at maths. You know, I remember going into secondary school saying, yeah, I think I want to be an accountant, just something that makes lots of, lots of money. I gave up on that. I didn't know that I wanted to be an artist yet. I did study graphic design A-level. Well, then I went to Brazil for about six months to stay with some friends. While I was there, I painted a mural, the first mural I'd painted. And... I kind of realised, left to my own devices, that's what I did. And how did you end up painting a mural in Brazil? Like, what was that story? So that's because the the people who I was staying with, it was a pastor, and he had a space. It was like an old shop, and he was using it for church. I can't remember how, but he knew somehow that I painted, and so I just, he said, oh, do you want to paint? So we went to a shop, got some paint, and I started painting. I painted this big wall 
in Portuguese. So it was, yeah, it was really um, kind of like massive um, influence on where I am now. Yeah, that's quite serendipitous, you know, like... Mm. Yeah. Like it was always meant to happen. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your big first gig. Who was it with? How did it come about? And is there anything about it that really stands out to you? My first really big thing was in 2013 in Miami. There's an area called Wynwood. It's full of like murals. I had a friend of a friend who had a friend who was a curator. (laughs) It's always the way. I know, yeah. And this curator called me up and was like, oh, I've got this opportunity for you to come to Miami to paint this wall. And I was like, "Mm mm-hmm, okay. (laughs) And right until the last minute, till that ticket was booked, you know, I was like, okay. And then once it was booked, I was like, okay, I'm going. So um, it was an opportunity to paint a really big wall in this area of Miami. It was just like epic. It was really scary. I was totally not experienced enough to do it, but I did it. And then afterwards, you know, I came back to London and then I think it was the New Year's Eve that year, I, I um, woke up and I found on my phone pictures of Beyonce who had stood in front of the wall and taken a picture of it, like done a selfie. That was really epic and it was really very meaningful for me. And what did it look like? Like, what was the mural? Can you describe it Yeah, so the murals, it read, I remember paradise. Whenever I paint a wall, I kind of want to respond to the space. I don't have the same insight as like a local artist would. But from where I was coming from, Miami to me was the epitome of kind of paradise, this idea of like this beautiful place. And so I was kind of referencing that. At the time, I'd been very interested in this idea of, and I still am, paradise and the idea that it seems almost universal, this this concept of a perfect kind of heaven or even a Garden of Eden. It's quite a universal theme. A lot of people would talk about that regardless of whether they even have like a faith or a religious practice. So I was quite interested in that idea that maybe this is almost written on our hearts, this concept of a paradise or a heaven. The fact that we all have this innate sense of it perhaps points to the fact that it's actually a real thing. So that's what I was referencing in the text. The fact that you know, Beyonce is this huge cultural figure who mm. you probably would have loved to have worked with. But in the end, you made work that she responded to rather than you responding to her. Yeah. And how that was kind of like, again, one of these like inevitable, fate, almost fate type Very situations. weird. Yeah, because beforehand I'd been wanting to make, I think I agree, you know, we were talking about culture and Beyonce is a huge part of She's an icon of culture. Whether or not you like her, she's an icon, isn't she? Yeah. I'd wanted to make something actually kind of somehow connected to that, somehow interrogating or or kind of questioning that. And so it was really crazy when when she walked into my painting. 
And it was nothing yeah. to do with Beyonce, but <laughs> but you know, I'd I'd, I'd gone on some di- completely different tangent. But she walked into it. Talk me through the process of creating a mural. Like, where does it start? What's the hardest bit? How does it all work? Usually it'll start with like a drawing, well, words, drawing, thinking about what words I want to paint, you know. Then I think about the wall, the surface, are there any like weird bits on it, like a window here, a door there, that type of thing. There's quite a lot of maths involved in like scaling up whatever I'm doing, breaking stuff into sections. That's why sometimes there's quite a lot of geometry in what I'll do, or be quite geometric, because it lends itself to scaling something up. I'm always learning. I always want to do it, like I never want to stop. And I have had a bit of a break, to be honest, because I had a baby, then COVID happened. So I I can't wait to get back. I imagine there's quite a thrill to seeing it come together on there a large is. scale. Yeah, there is. It really is. It, it's so much fun. Like, sometimes, like, having two kids, I can sometimes feel a bit, like, trapped in the routine of responsibilities that I have. And when I'm painting, you just feel free. And you often, you know, sometimes you're on a really high lift or and you work into the night. So you, it might be, like, you know, nighttime in Vegas because it gets so hot there. And it's burning down in the, the sun, so you've got to work like in the evening, and it's, there's no one else there, and it's just really magical. Are there any places that you look to for inspiration when it comes to the words that you use in the pieces? Yeah, lots of places. I read the Bible a lot, and that's a really big influence on my work. I also I love music. So, and, and I, I guess what I like about music is that people listen to music nonstop. Like, it's just there in the background, isn't it? And we sing songs. And some of us don't sing that much, but we listen to music a lot in our culture. The words that are sung are really significant. I definitely like to reference songs because I feel like, it, it, in a way, it enables people to connect with what I'm painting because people know songs and they're a part, they're familiar. But I feel like sometimes meaning resonates with me and I like to kind of maybe take that a bit deeper and think about different kind of things that that could imply. And you've obviously worked around the world and I, I wanted to ask, are there any particular projects that you think have I guess, shifted the way that you see your work and the way that you see the world. Just after my first summer one, actually, I I did a a wall in Arkansas in America. It was like a a courtyard in a youth detention centre. I was invited there and um, it was a really great space and it was youth detention centre, so there were young people there. I was asked to bring some life to it because this was their only recreational area, apart from an indoor kind of table the situation so I um, decided to reference Maya Angelou who is from Arkansas a well-known poem Still I Rise and to kind of paint that into the space it's interesting some of the kids hadn't heard that poem before which is just like iconic isn't yeah. it and so for that was their first time you know we, we also read them the poem and like t- talked about it and it's about rising up despite trials and, and, and struggles and actually rising up stronger. Then interestingly, when I went when I came home, I happened to watch the thirteenth by Ava Duvernay. Yeah. 
which speaks about, you know, the prison system in America, it was quite eye-opening because when I'd gone, I, I wasn't totally aware of the context. That was really eye-opening, basically, because what I had witnessed at the youth detention centre, it kind of correlated in a way with what I saw in the documentary. Not in terms of, I'm telling you, I witnessed this, 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 but in terms of reasons, perhaps, why young people were locked up, um, which potentially in this country they wouldn't have been locked up for. You know, I was talking to a friend about it later on, and my work is very much, it's often, it's seen by lots of people, but that piece will only be seen by those people in that space. Yeah, in that position. Yeah, yeah. And, and they're actually the most marginalised people in society. I mean, maybe there's others, but prisoners are definitely a very much a marginalised. They've literally been tucked away, locked away and told, you've got to stay in here. Maybe forever, some of them. So it's quite an honour to be able to make work for people who are literally have been pushed right to the side and locked away. I think that's something that's so special about the kind of art that you create and the places it's able to go. I think you mentioned before how even commercial work can mean that it exists in people's daily lives where maybe they're not going to a gallery or they're not specifically visiting like art spaces. And so I wanted to touch a bit more on that. Is there a difference in how you approach, I guess, public art versus your commercial work? And are there reasons that you think it's important to always do both? The place I'm at right now is realising what a privilege it is to be able to, number one, get paid by clients, but also to be able to collaborate with brands that are a big part of our culture. And we, we started with that question about culture, which I think was really relevant, because like the culture we live in, whether you like it or not, is very much interconnected with brands, right? Yeah, absolutely. To the extent that, uh, you know, a brand's logo you will voluntarily get a brand's logo shaved into the back of your head, right? <laughs> like, I think, and I think, whether you like it or not, that is the world we live in. So my approach is to engage with that rather than to try and, I don't know, become a purist exactly. and, and push away from that. So I'd rather engage with that and say, well, what does that, what does that logo mean to you? Can we kind of, I don't know, dig deeper so um yeah I'm grateful to be able to collaborate with brands but then also to be able to make my own work and for it to be you know for me to have like a show in a museum I had my first museum show about um just a little while ago in Hastings and that was such again such a privilege to have a space cleared out just for you yeah. where you can say whatever you want to say and it's not compromised by any brand values it's literally just whatever you want to say so and then also being able to make public art which there is a compromise there because your work has got to be approved by the powers that be okay so there's compromise there but to there's these kind of three dimensions i guess to to or three realms that I'm operating in and I'm really grateful to be able to operate in all of them because I think they've all got different ways of connecting with people and that's really what I want to do is connect with people. All of your work seems to have that kind of thread of connecting with people but also I guess bringing that community together and I wondered if that feels like it's 
a direct result of those experiences that you had kind of moving around in different countries and feeling a little bit displaced? Does it feel like there's a link between what you do now and how you felt in the past? I started making work as a way to try and figure out and process who I was, very much linked with identity and basically being able to speak, almost like a platform, being able to speak because I didn't feel able to speak, I didn't feel heard, I didn't feel represented. So that's why I started making work all those years ago. Lots of things have happened. I'm in a different space now and all that type of thing, but I think my work does enable me to connect with the world and I'm grateful for that. So obviously a lot of artists have had to pivot and adapt to a new way of working because of the pandemic. And I wanted to know, what was the impact like for you? Well, it was it was actually quite worked out quite well for me. As much as it was a terrible thing, I know, for a lot of people. For me, it meant that my husband couldn't work because he's a barber. That they had to shut because of COVID, which meant that he took on all of the childcare. So I've got two sons, I've got a five-year-old and a two-year-old. So it meant that I could paint. Just like, and I could work freely because um, all commissions kind of closed up. So there was no kind of like collaborations going on. I had space and time for the first time in years, in five years really, since my son was born. So it was actually quite a, um, it had quite a big impact on my work because it gave me a bit of a, a moment to really push through that I haven't had. What it did mean was a lot of stuff went online, didn't it? I began painting my home because we were in my home. So I made this whole, um, and I'm still working on it, to be honest, but it was in, at the same time Black Lives Matter movement rose up. I know it had been going on before, but this kind of erupted. And um, I was thinking a lot about this idea of protection and healing and COVID and that. There was a bit of a crossover. So I began painting my home and sharing that with the world via like Instagram. So in that way, yeah. I was connecting and I was almost, you know, engaging with culture despite being at home, as many people were. What is next for you? Is there a big project you can look forward to? Are there any new realms that you're trying to venture into? Like, what have you got coming? So, I mean, yeah, there's lo literally loads of stuff. I'm, some of the stuff I'm not sure if I can talk about. One thing is really exciting project at Temple Station mm. coming up. It, it should be opening end of September. Or, or beginning October and it's a floorscape really so you might not know it I don't know if you know I, I've literally grown up going to like the Strand and stuff and it's on the Strand and Temple Station there's like a roof terrace there are gardens around but that, that actual roof terrace is just concrete and really ugly and so what we're doing is we're um, so I'm working with Collab Art and we are um, taking over the space and filling it with like a tiled mosaic of colours um, and it'll be open to the public. So, yeah, that, that will open end of September or beginning of October. Um, that's a really exciting thing. I'm also doing an installation at Somerset House for African Art Fair, which is nice. I'm also collaborating with a fashion brand. I won't say which, but that is really exciting. Mm. And my first time, well, actually, I've collaborated with a brand before, but I'm really excited about this this particular brand that I'm collaborating with. So there, that's a few things. Um, but it's continuing to paint kind of growing my studio which is really nice and, and focusing more on my studio practice so yeah I think that's really so incredible to see 
I think your work is so striking, but to see it in all the different forms, you know, like textiles and literal buildings, I think will be incredible. This podcast is part of Selfridge's ongoing exploration of the most exciting individuals and ideas in the arts. Tune in each week for more thought-provoking discussions and keep an eye on superculture at selfridges.com for mood-boosting events, art films and interviews that continue to explore the importance of culture. This is a Radio Wolfgang production and featured Lequena McIver. The producers were Cass Denton, Palama Kaufman, Holly Aquilina, with sound design by Ivor Manley. The executive producer was Ellie DiMartino. Martino.